morning we are going to begin a brand new series that we're going to be in for several weeks now that we have simply called Warning Signs. And over the next six weeks, actually, we are going to be discussing understanding the signs of spiritual peril, the signs that uh, we are drifting away from the Lord, that we are falling away from our deep and intimate relationship with Christ. And I want you to know that today's message is simply going to be an introduction, which is to say that if you leave here today with more questions than you have answers, don't despair, because today is just introducing the series to you. And throughout the next five weeks, we'll really begin to unpackage this and We'll really drill down into the material and prayerfully answer some of the questions that you may even have after today. So don't get worried. This is just an introduction. The purpose of today's message is just to unpack the series and kind of introduce you to some things that we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks and and hopefully set the direction for this series. So just bear with us in it. You know, everywhere we turn today, we see signs. Signs are everywhere. Signs on the side of the road. We have signs on buildings. Signs inside of buildings. We have signs uh, in our favorite park that we go walk in. We have signs or labels on things that we purchase every day. It seems like everywhere we turn, there are signs. We are inundated with signs. In fact, some people might say we have too much information out there to try and process in a very short amount of time. But everywhere we go, there are signs. There are traffic signs. And those traffic signs warn drivers of hazards ahead that they may not be able to see initially. There are hazard signs that warn of hazardous material, locations, or objects that, again, may not be initially observable. There are signs or labels on food, furniture, appliances, and even machinery reminding us of the proper use and even the improper use of these objects. Signs are there to warn us. They are there to regulate us. They are there to guide us, to stop us, to make us yield. Signs are there to inform us. And signs are there even to locate us. Sometimes if you didn't have a sign, you wouldn't even know where you were or how even to begin your journey to where you are going. Oh, and there is one more thing that I almost forgot to say that signs do. They annoy us from time to time. How many of you have ever been annoyed by a sign that you saw? Um, speed limit signs come to mind. Um, you know, there's nothing like when I'm driving to northern Maine, making that trip to our home, and we're making really good time. I don't know if any of you are like this, but you're making really, really good time, and you're so excited, and then all of a sudden, a sign comes out that says, construction ahead, expect delays. Oh, there's nothing more frustrating and annoying than that kind of a sign. But, you know, the reality is that even if they annoy us, we need signs. We may have a love-hate relationship with them, and we may not always want to hear the information that these signs are providing, but at the end of the day, we need signs. Have you ever really thought how dependent we are on signs? Can you imagine driving without signs along the way? Can you imagine the chaos that we would find on the roads driving if there were no signs? Imagine going into an office building where there are hundreds of suites and there are no signs at all. Imagine going to an airport where there are no signs and trying to locate your flight in a very busy terminal. It's just amazing how dependent we are for signs. And, and even though they annoy us at times, and even though they cause us some frustration, we need the information that is provided by signs. You know, there are other signs that are not always as 
observable. There are physical signs, or we call them symptoms, that actually alert us that something is going on in our bodies. In fact, you know, some of you may know that I sound a little congested today. Somehow I got a cold or it's allergies, I don't know which, and I'm trying to treat it. And even the other day as I was looking at the warning labels, you've seen this before. It says right there, if these symptoms persist, seek medical attention immediately. Because there are some signs that our body lets us know there's something going on in your body that you may not be aware of. How many of you know that there are signs that can show up in our marriage that show us that we're moving into a dangerous direction? Sometimes we have signs in our children that they are involved in things they should not be involved in. Signs that they are troubled or even signs that they are in trouble. There are signs that our lives are out of control or signs that at the very least we're moving into a very bad place. And these signs are there to do the exact same thing that these physical signs do. They are there to warn us. They are there to regulate us, to guide us, to stop us, to make us yield, to inform us, and even to locate us. To locate where we are physically, where we are maritally, where we are parentally, where we are spiritually, where we are physically and emotionally, where we are personally in our lives. And again, just like the other signs, these signs may annoy us, We may not want to hear the information that these signs are providing for us, but we need to hear that sign. We we may not want to hear that information, but those signs are there in our bodies, in our marriages, in our relationship, in our families, in our lives, to cause us to reconsider where we are, what we are doing, and where we are going and also to inform us of the peril that we will ultimately face if we ignore the signs. And all of us have seen, or we have all witnessed, the devastation and the pain that ignoring signs can bring, whether that is a traffic accident, or whether that is the breakup of a marriage, or whether that is the failure of a family, or even a treatable illness that led to death simply because the signs were ignored, we have all seen the painful, even fatal consequences and fallout of failing to allow signs to impact our choices and our decisions. Isn't that ultimately what a sign is doing? Isn't it drawing attention to the the fact that something is ahead you cannot see? And before you proceed any further, you need to consider this. You need to reconsider the direction that you're heading in. You need to consider the peril that is out there. That is what a sign is there for. To reconsider the position I am in before I go any further. Well, can I tell you today... That just as there are signs in the physical realm, there are signs in the spiritual realm. There are signs that actually occur within our walk with the Lord, within our journey with Jesus Christ, that are there to warn us, that are there to regulate us, that are there to guide us, that are there to stop us, that are there to cause us to yield, that are caused, or that are there to inform us, And even to locate us, to locate where we presently are with the Lord and the direction that we are heading in. Sadly, just like all of the other signs, these signs can annoy us as well. We don't always want to hear the information that these signs are providing for us. They're very inconvenient for us because it means that now I've got to reconsider where I stand with Almighty God and consider if the Lord is actually causing me to move in a different direction. Unfortunately also, like other signs, these warning signs often go unheeded, they go ignored, and we press on to disaster. I think one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with personally as a pastor for all of these years is looking into the faces of men and women 
who have been warned time and time again of the direction that they're heading in, but just see them stiffen themselves against God and continue to press on until ultimately disaster comes upon them. I'll never forget many years ago, a man coming into my office who was considering marriage to an individual and I I said, listen, I have nothing personal against them and I have nothing personal against you, but I said, this will be a destructive relationship. You need to run as far away from this as possible. And I went on to give him reason why I felt that this was a bad decision and even went as far to say, I love you, but I will not perform this marriage because I believe it is a toxic relationship. And they looked at me right in the face and said, Pastor, I respect you, but I disagree with you. And I have to do what God is telling me to do. And I said, let these be my final words to you. God is not telling you to do this. God is telling you to do the exact opposite. He left the church, he went off and married the lady, and less than a year later, he was back in my office, and he said, Pastor, I should have listened to you. The marriage didn't even last a year. He said, Pastor, go ahead and tell me, you told me so, and I said, what do you think, this is a game? Do you think that I, I sit in my office trying to prove people wrong? It didn't have to be this way. You didn't have to end up in a divorce court. If you had just listened to the signs. Sadly, ignoring these signs could bring us to a place of no return. There are many reasons why people ignore these signs. We'll look at some of them at the end. But I fear that one reason that these signs go ignored by, by many is simply because of the prevailing belief among many professing Christians That once you have received Christ into your life, there is nothing and there is no one that can alter or change that relationship. That once I have said, Jesus, come into my heart, all that I have to do is engage the cruise control, push the automatic pilot button, and just gently fly into the pearly gates of heaven one day. There are those who believe that if they come to the altar, they say a prayer, Jesus, come into my heart, that's it. That nothing they do from that moment on could ever affect their salvation. That they are eternally secure and there is no fear of ever doing anything that would interrupt that relationship at all. Now I really don't want to take a lot of time here with this. But I do feel that I need to talk about this briefly. And again, after this you may have more questions than you have answers but recognize we got five weeks to discuss this after today. And we are going to discuss it. But I think that initially, out of the gate, I at least need to introduce you to this subject matter. And that is that for many years, and I mean many years, and when I say many years, I mean just that, many years, hundreds and hundreds of years, there has been long-standing tension between believers as to the security of the believer. As to whether or not the believer is eternally secure once they have received Christ as Lord and Savior, or if at some point they could walk away from their faith. Is the believer eternally secure unconditionally, or is the believer secure in their salvation within certain qualifiers within certain conditions that are there not that we save ourselves but is there something that God requires of us once we receive Christ as our savior there are those who believe that if you are truly saved if you have genuinely and authentically given your life to Jesus Christ you can never under any circumstance lose that experience or more importantly the salvation that comes with that experience They just believe that when you come to an altar, you say a prayer, give your life to Jesus, that's in. Your ticket is punched and nothing you do from that moment on could ever alter your eternal destiny. You are saved unconditionally. There are others, however, 
who believe that because we willfully decide to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and because daily we continue to deny ourselves and take up our cross and willfully follow after the Lord, that at any point we could willfully decide to return to our old life and in the same sentence we would be turning away from the Lord. Now to be fair, and I do, I want to be fair in my representation of all these points of view, those who believe that it is impossible to walk away from the Lord, they would actually say that anyone who would walk away from the Lord was never truly saved in the first place. They would say that there was no transformation. And that initially it may have looked like they received Christ as their Savior, but over time it was proven that they never truly were saved in the first place. And that is the only reason that they quote-unquote walked away because they were never really in the faith to begin with. They would never, and I want to make sure you hear this, they would never say that someone who went on after saying, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, to live habitually and intentionally in sin was going to be with Christ. They would never say that. But what they would say is, they were just never truly saved to begin with. So they would never look at someone who said, well, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old, but then they went on to live in habitual sin. They would say, that person is not going to heaven. They would say, they didn't walk away from the Lord. They were never saved at five in the first place. That's their position. And I can respect that. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But then there are others, which I have to tell you is where I land, And where this church lands and where this fellowship of churches known as the Assemblies of God lands who believe that one can have a true, genuine, uh, authentic experience with the Lord and be transformed and they can walk with Him for months and even years. But because it is a willful decision at any point, they could willfully begin to entertain sin And through the deceitfulness of sin, develop an evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God Almighty. We're not being held against our will. God is not obligated to keep anyone in his kingdom who doesn't want to be in his kingdom at all. But here is what I would say. This is kind of the position that I take. After looking at this issue for many, many years, and I have, I remember I took a real interest in this issue my freshman year in Bible college. Because I had always been taught one way, and I just believed it because that's what I was taught. I had never really done my own investigation. And so, as a freshman in Bible college, I really took an interest in this subject, and I spent more time looking at the other point of view. The, the ones who would say you could never under any circumstance walk away from your salvation. And although I believe I gained a greater understanding and appreciation for what they believe, I still maintained my personal belief after all of this study. But I can tell you now that at this stage in my life, I don't see this as an either or matter. It's not one or the other matter. Both of them are true. It's not that we should be just painting with a broad brush, but rather we should be looking at the individual because both of these things are valid. Can I tell you, I believe that Scripture clearly teaches that once we have received Christ through repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, that we must continue in that faith. We must be firm to the end, growing and maturing in Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him every single day. And if we do not, then we're drifting away from him. And if we continue to drift long enough before we know it, we will find ourselves falling away from Jesus. And let me just say this. That is something that happens very gradually. It doesn't happen overnight. I think that one of the accusations that is often leveled against those who believe as we do here at Bethel is that we believe that if you commit sin at that moment, you need to be saved again. That, that as a believer, if you sin once, you're automatically disqualified. I don't believe that at all. 
How many of you are thankful that the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is stronger than one act of sin? I mean, I don't believe that every time we sin, I need to get saved again. No more than, you know, when my son or my daughter disobeyed me growing up that they needed to be reborn so they could be my child again. They don't cease being my children simply because they, you know, disobey me one time. What we believe is that all sin does need to be repented of. Because every time I sin against God, I've sinned against His character and I have interrupted that relationship. And so I need to repent of it. I need to be broken over it. And I need to to hear His correction and, and to receive from Him so that I can learn from that experience and go on to live a better life in that particular area. But I don't believe that every time we sin, we stop being the children of God and need to be saved again. The issue is not one sin. The issue is not even two sins or three sins. It's not that. The Bible seems to be indicating that of lifestyle, where it becomes habitual, where literally it is being practiced on a regular basis, that it's something that is always showing up in my life. And I will tell you that if there is an area of your life that you continually fall into over and over and over and over again, at some point you've at least got to sit down with God and say, Lord, am I just going through the motions? Is this real or not? Because how could I continue in sin when I know that Jesus has set me free from it by his power and by his spirit in Jesus' name? It's lifestyle. It's habitual. And let me just say that there are some people that just use, again, they use God's grace as an opportunity to keep doing what they do. Well, you know what? I just struggle with this sin, but God forgives me. And I've been struggling with this for 20 years, for 30 years, but God forgives me. Folks, that's abusing the grace of God. God knows the difference between a person that is tapping into the grace of God to grow on a regular and steady basis and the person that is just using God's grace to get out of jail for free. So I don't believe that you stop being a child of God every time you, you sin. But when sin becomes regular, there's a problem. But I also see evidence that one can go through all the man-made motions of receiving Christ and hold to works that initially appear to be Christ-like, but never have a relationship with Him to begin with. And that's not just being pulled out of the hat either. That's a reality. Jesus himself spoke of that in the Sermon on the Mount. We've mentioned this often, where Jesus clearly taught, hey, there are going to be many people, not a few, Many are going to come to me on that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we cast demons out in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did wonders in your name. And Jesus is going to look at them, and he said, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Never knew you. Not I knew you, and we lost it. I never had a relationship with you. You were very religious. And I know that you thought you knew me, but you ignored all the warning signs and you've refused to believe that you never had a relationship with me. And the way that we make salvation so easy today, it is easy to see how people get caught up into that. Because today, and and many of you know that I've kind of gone through a transformation in my own life because I was very much one that loved to bring people to the altar to repeat with them a sinner's prayer. But I've gotten away from that and I'm still trying to navigate through that because I believe we need to give men and women opportunity to receive Christ. But the way we do it today, we bring them up and we say, if say this prayer with me and people are led to believe that if they say that prayer, they're in, that they're saved. When there's been no brokenness in their heart, when there's been no repentance in their heart, where they've never said, God, you are wholly right and I am wholly wrong and from this day forward, I'm gonna live for your glory and your honor alone. Most people come to the altar because they don't wanna go to hell or because they don't wanna live with the consequences of their sin any longer, which is all selfish motivated. And so literally, they never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's not an either or thing, it's... It can be either one. Because folks, listen, I have looked into the eyes of men and women 
who I thought had a relationship with the Lord, but as I began to examine their life, and as I began to examine the time that I knew them, it became apparent to me, you know what? They never did know the Lord. You say, that's judgmental. Well, Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. And so I can look at fruit and I can make an assessment and say in all the years that I've known you, the only thing that would even indicate to me that you know the Lord is that you say you do. But beyond that, I've never seen anything. So that person never knew the Lord. And yet there have been others that had a great walk with Jesus, that loved the Lord, that lived for Him for years, But they entertained sin a little bit and they got a taste for it. And through the deceitfulness of sin, and we'll talk about this in this series, they developed an evil heart of unbelief and they slowly began to depart from the living God Almighty. Whatever the case may be on that issue, one thing that I am sure of is that long before we even get to that place, there are signs alerting us to the direction that we are heading and the peril that we are at risk of experiencing if we do not change course. Folks, God is faithful. And long before you ever show up at that place of disaster, God has already been setting out the warning signs. It's just a matter of whether you're going to heed them are going to arrogantly press on, ignoring them. Can I just tell you, no one just ends up in disaster. No one just suddenly ends up in the arms of a woman or a man that is not their spouse. No one just suddenly ends up in an affair. No one just suddenly ends up in a compromising situation. No one just suddenly has financial, spiritual, relational, or reputational ruin. No one just shows up at disaster one day. You may arrive there suddenly, but trust me, you were on that path for a very long time and you refused to listen to the warning signs along the way. Proverbs 29, verse 1 says, he who hardens his neck and refuses instruction after being, listen to this, often reproved, corrected, criticized, will suddenly be broken beyond repair. Did you notice? They may have arrived at this disaster suddenly, but they were on the path a long time. They were often reproved, but they continued to harden their neck, refused to listen to instruction and the warning that was being provided. And then in a moment, they found themselves broken beyond repair. The message says it this way, for people who hate discipline and only get more stubborn, there'll come a day when life tumbles in and they break, but by then it'll be too late to help them. Long before David woke up in bed with Bathsheba, there were already warning signs alerting him that he was drifting from the Lord. Long before Samson woke up in the lap of Delilah with his head shaven, Long before he found himself with his eyes gouged out and grinding the corn of the Philistines, there were warning signs all throughout his life that he was playing games with God and drifting. Long before Peter denied Jesus three times, there were already warning signs. Even an hour before it took place that he was confident in himself rather than confident in God. Long before Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, there were three and a half years of warning signs alerting him to drifting from the master. One thing that all of those men have in common is they ignored the warning signs and they drifted into perilous territory and sadly some of them never recovered. And the reality is as we go throughout this series, there are some of you, and I'm not saying that I know it personally, I just know it in my spirit, that you are ignoring the warning signs. 
and you happily come to church every Sunday and you feel so secure in your walk, but you're ignoring the signs that you've already started drifting away from the Lord. Can I tell you, most people fall away from the Lord attending church on Sunday mornings. You say, Pastor Kerr, why is this so important to you? The reason that this is so important for us to hear, and we're going to devote six weeks to it, is because, first of all, the Bible makes it very clear that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more this is going to happen. Jesus referred to it, saying that in the last days, false prophets would come and deceive many, but those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. The Apostle Paul certainly made mention of it when he said to the Thessalonians that the last days will not come until there be a great falling away from the faith. So this is going to become more and more an issue the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. And just so you'll know, we are getting closer to the coming of the Lord every single day we live on this planet. We're not gaining time, folks. We're losing time. The clock is ticking. And we need to recognize that. The second reason that this is so important is because it applies to everyone here. There is no one in this room that is immune to what we're dealing with today. So if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, you know, maybe I'll take the next five weeks off. Maybe because this doesn't apply to me. Oh, please. Hear the word of the Lord that Paul said into the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before a fall, haughtiness before destruction. If you're sitting there and you think, nah, you know what, that could never happen to me. I love God more than anyone else. There is no way I could ever fall away from Him. You are already setting a trap for your own feet in your pride. This can happen to any of us. And we need to heed the warning signs. Now, you know what's interesting is that there is a letter in the New Testament that almost exclusively deals with this issue. In fact, it deals with this issue more than any other letter in the New Testament. And of course, it is the letter to the Hebrews. We call it the book of Hebrews, but it actually wasn't a book. It was a letter. There was an author. We do not know who that author was. Some suspect it was Paul, but the growing evidence is that Paul did not write it. We don't know who did. It doesn't matter who did. It was preserved for us so that we could learn from it. It was a letter written to Hebrews. And this letter of Hebrews could actually be summed up in two statements. First, that the New Testament is superior to the Old Testament because the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has brought us into a new and living way. But then the second statement would be the necessity of remaining in Christ. It was the author's desire to exalt Jesus to a place where you would recognize that there is no other hope, there is no other salvation except in Jesus Christ, and then to point out the necessity of man remaining in Jesus Christ. The letter of Hebrews was written to... Uh, a, a small home church in 70 AD that consisted primarily of Jewish men and Jewish women who had received Christ as their Messiah, their Savior, and their Lord. But the times that, uh, under which this was written were very tough and very rugged. Many of you know that persecution had encompassed the Roman Empire and Christians were receiving the brunt of it all. For just loving Jesus Christ and refusing to call anyone else Lord, Christians were having their property confiscated. They were being publicly humiliated. They were even being imprisoned. They were excommunicated from the Jewish community. And though it doesn't appear that they were being martyred, though there is some evidence for that, at least, at the very least, looming large in the future was martyrdom. And so literally every day these Christians got up not knowing what the day would bring them. 
kind of sounds like the church in the United States of America in the 21st century. doesn't matter who gets voted in. We're heading in that direction. I hope you recognize that. I hope you see that coming. And these were the conditions under which this letter was written. And as a result of this intense pressure, as a result of the persecution that they were experiencing, many of them were considering abandoning their faith in Christ altogether and returning to Judaism. At the very least, they were trying to come up with a hybrid of both. A way to mix them together so as to alleviate some of the pressure. To alleviate some of the persecution that they were experiencing. No doubt, they were rationalizing it. God would never want us to suffer this way so we can make some very minor adjustments to our faith so that we can accommodate everyone and not suffer at all. But the author of Hebrews said, no, there's no justification. There's no rationalizing this action. And he goes on to say, no, please, you know the Old Testament. You know all the prophecies. You know all the types and the shadows that were pointing to the Messiah. And Jesus has fulfilled them all. There is no name given by which man can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And to abandon him is to abandon all hope. And so he lifts up and exalts Jesus and says he is the only way. But then beautifully interwoven into this letter are five very distinct warnings. Any of you that have ever studied the book of Hebrews knows that one of its claims to fame is that it is a book of warnings. And these five warnings look at five very distinct signs that always occur when a person is drifting away from the Lord. And over the next five weeks, we are going to examine all five of those warnings. And we're going to look at the signs that always occur when men and women begin to fall away from the Lord. Am I suggesting that anyone in this room is falling away? I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that there are. And again, that's not because I know and I could point out people. It's just I know that in a church our size, there is no way that there are people that are not falling away. I'm tempted to say that people that stood home today because it was raining out are falling away. But I won't say that. (laughs) Just having fun with you. But we're going to examine them over the next five weeks because we want to learn from them. And we don't want to ignore the signs that maybe our hearts are drifting away. Now, how am I going to close this this morning? A few days ago, I read an article. It was a secular article, but it was actually written to explore the psychology of why people ignore signs. It was not a scientific article. It was not a scientific study. It was just an individual that was fascinated with the idea that there are men and women that just are oblivious to signs. And they just wanted to find out why do men and women feel empowered to ignore signs? Again, it wasn't scientific. They just studied and they researched and they interviewed uh, police officers, those who were in law enforcement, those who were in the legal profession, those who had ignored signs and and had faced very difficult circumstances as a result. And they just compiled and they said, you know what, after all of our interviews, after all of our studies, there are four that we hear more often than not. And the only reason I'm sharing these with you is because the spiritual parallel is uncanny. It's amazing how sometimes the physical world will mirror the spiritual world. For instance, one of the primary reasons that people will ignore warning signs is intoxication. Intoxication. Some would say it maybe is the greatest reason, I don't know. But it's hard to pay attention to warning signs when you are under the influence of alcohol. When you are under the influence of drugs. When your judgment becomes impaired. All of a sudden you don't care about anything else. You don't care about signs. You're so intoxicated that you completely ignore the signs. 
Did you know that in the same way, we as believers can become intoxicated, we can become drunk, we can become inebriated, we can become stoned with the things of this world and all that this world has to offer us. It is a spiritual intoxication, if you will. And literally, we can become so drunk with this world that we ignore the warning signs that we are drifting from God. And I'm not making that up. Jesus spoke about it in Luke 21, beginning at verse number 34. He said, but take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence. What is he What is he describing there? A hangover. Drunkenness and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. For it will come upon all who live upon the face of the entire earth. Keep awake then, watch at all times, be discreet, attentive, and ready, praying that you may have the full strength and ability and be accounted worthy to escape all these things taken together that will take place and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Jesus certainly did not believe that once you accepted Him as Savior and Lord that you could hit the cruise control and put it on automatic pilot. Jesus said, keep awake! Watch at all times. Pray that not only you'll have the strength to endure what's coming, but that you would be counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. Guard your heart every day, lest you become overburdened and depressed and weighed down and become drunk and hung over with all that is in this world. And there are many of us in this room that have become so drunk, so inebriated by the spirit of this age and all that is in it that we don't even recognize the signs that have been warning us for years we're falling away from the Lord. Entitlement is another reason that people ignore signs. Entitlement. That's not the word they use, but it's the one that I I thought best described it, entitlement. These are the individuals who believe that they're above the law. That they're above the signs. These are the individuals that walk around with a superior attitude, an entitlement attitude. And they say, I know that the posted speed limit is 65, but that is for novices. That's for people that really do not know their cars and their vehicles like like I do. You see, I'm a better driver than most. And I can navigate my car at 100 better than I can at 65. So those laws don't apply to me. Have you ever heard that, detective? (laughs) We have a police officer among us. You don't understand, officer. Those laws don't apply to me. I'm a better driver. And besides, I'm a more important person. All of these people are just having their menial lives, but I have important appointments to keep. And I have places that I need to be, so I should be entitled to set the speed limit to where I feel it's better. Because I'm confident in my skills and I'm confident in my ability so I am above the law. And if you don't think that attitude is in the church, folks, you need a wake-up call. Because there are people who believe that all the laws of the Word of God and all the commandments, they're for somebody else. That's for people that don't know any better. That's for people that are just starting their faith. But I've been walking with the Lord for so long, I can make it my own way. I know what the Bible says about tithing. I know what the Bible says about divorce. I know what the Bible says about church attendance. I know what the Bible says about sleeping together with people that are not your spouse and sleeping around before you're married. I know what the scripture says, but this is my life. And and God and I have an agreement. And he understands my situation. You ever heard that before? I know what the Bible says about unforgiveness, but that was written to that specific 
um, situation 2,000 years ago. This is the 21st century and this is my situation. And if God were writing the Bible today, there'd be an entirely different book for me. Because God doesn't know my situation. Never considered my situation. I'm entitled. And that entitlement attitude has caused you to ignore the warning signs that you're falling away from Jesus. The third reason is distractions. Distractions. (laughs) Boy, you see this every day. It's hard to see signs and warnings when you're texting while driving. How many of you do that? Liars. <laughs> it's hard to see signs and warnings when you're changing radio stations, when you're eating, when you're putting on makeup, when you're getting dressed. When you're drinking coffee, when you are doing everything that you want to do rather than doing the things you are supposed to be doing. When you get into a car, it is to drive from A to B as safely as you can. It's not to accommodate all of your desires. And the reality is, there are many Christians who are ignoring the warning signs because they're just distracted. Jesus spoke about it in Mark 4, verses 18 through 19, where he says, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Wow. Isn't it sad? That there are many of us that have choked out the word that is being spoken from these warning signs in our lives simply because we're distracted by the cares of this life. There are some of us that are just wrapped up in in what life has for us. There are many of you that just can't wait. It's killing you that you, you can't look on your phone and some of you already are because you want to check what's on Facebook rather than keeping your face in the book. You are more concerned about what people thought about your comment than you are about what God thinks about your life. We have people today that can quote every line from their favorite movie but have never committed the word of God to memory. People that can sit in their favorite movie for two hours or more and and when it's over want more But they come to a church service, and God forbid that it would go more than an hour and a half. And even when they're there for an hour and a half, they're thinking about where they're going to go for breakfast or dinner after it's over with. You know, you say, you're, you're just being too picky. Am I? Or is it a sign? You're wandering from the Lord. Entertainment friendships, work, family, marriage can all become a distraction and cloud our judgment to the point where you don't even realize that you're falling away from him. You say, wait a minute, those are important things. Friendships, work, family, marriage, that's important. It certainly is, but it's not more important than God. And some of you have made these things God and you spend more time with them than you do God and you don't even realize that you're falling away from your first love. And then the last one I'm going to share with you. And I love this one. I'll never get caught. When interviewed why people ignore signs, many say, I'll never get caught. I thought I, thought I would never get caught. You know, it's very hard to convince someone who has never been caught that a day of reckoning is coming. That it's only a matter of time. You can roll the dice, but one day you will get it. And it's very hard to convince people in the church that there's a day of reckoning coming when it appears that they're getting away with it. I mean, there are people that just say, well, you know what? God's never judged me. He can't really think that that's a big deal. 
Because I, he's never exposed it. He's never, he's never allowed me to get caught. So obviously, he must be cool with this. Oh, Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived that way. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I, live in an agri- I lived in an agricultural town. And they planted potatoes in May, I think it was. And it wasn't until late June, early July that you started seeing the evidence that something was in those fields. Folks, listen to me. You may be sowing along right now and thinking that you're getting away with it. But there is something germinating where you cannot see. And one day you will reap everything you've sown. Numbers 32 verse 23 says, But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. In Luke 8 and verse 17, Jesus said, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Folks, you may get away with it every day of your existence on this planet. But there is coming a day when even the secrets of men's hearts will be clearly seen when they stand before God. Folks, don't ignore the signs. If you are where you need to be with God, fantastic. Still listen to this series. Because at any point, it only takes a day to start wandering from Him. Some of you that are wandering, take heed to this series. And even if you're here and you do not know the Lord, this is going to apply to you more than you could even begin to imagine. Because a lot of this language is directed towards people who do not know Christ, but have been exposed to Christ and just continue to ignore what they hear to their own peril. Folks, let's mature in Christ to the point where we will pay attention to the warning signs. In Jesus' name. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. This is going to be a sobering series. You can already tell. And for that reason, I've asked the Lord to really help me to not really, you know I get excited when I preach. And that's just my style. But I don't want to come across as an angry dad. I want to come across like a loving father. Because God doesn't share these things with us because he wants to hurt us. He shares these things because he sees what is coming and he wants us to reconsider. And right there, just for a few moments, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you just to say to the Lord, Father, help me to open up my heart to what you would say over these next five weeks because I don't want to ignore any sign that I'm drifting from you. Can you just make that your prayer right there? And then I'm going to close in a moment.